Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. This is the gist of freedom with Manisha Sinha, Draper Chair in American History and the author of The Slave's Cause, A History of Abolition. I will be talking to you every third Saturday of the month at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Black History and Current Events. You can find over 500 archive shows of the Gist of Freedom on blackhistoryuniversity.com. I look forward to spending every third Saturday afternoon with you. Hello, everyone. This is Manisha Sinha again. I am here to talk with you about our December show, uh, which will revolve around the theme of Christmas. But before I get to that, I wanted to begin this episode with talking about the history of Black benevolent societies and mutual aid societies that were actually put into place very early on by people of African descent in the colonial era. Starting from the 1600s, people of African descent in Massachusetts colony wanted to meet together and worship separately. But it is only in the 1780s that you have the rise of the first free African societies in Newport, Rhode Island, and in Philadelphia, in Pennsylvania. These societies were basically worship societies, and they came together in order to help each other. Their dues tended to be very low, so they could include a vast number of people, and they were there basically to help their members in times of emergency, illness, sickness, uh, death in the family. Now remember, most people of African descent at this time were enslaved, some of them were free and had actually managed to even buy their own freedom. But most of them were enslaved. And this was a way for them to pool their resources in order to help each other. So we think today about things like healthcare, you know, Medicare. Uh, we think of the modern welfare state and how the government should secure a, a safety net for its citizens, idea actually was practiced by black people in their benevolent associations and mutual aid societies a long time ago. They got together, they even purchased sometimes burial grounds because they were not allowed to bury their dead in cemeteries um, that were controlled by white Euro-Americans. So they were doing something that is actually quite remarkable. They were doing what we would call the basic Christian things, helping each other in time of need and, in fact, also um, getting together 
to worship together and to create a sense of community and fellowship amongst themselves. What could be more Christian and what could be more pertinent in terms of a message for our times than to look at this history, which is indeed quite remarkable. Now, the Free African Society in Philadelphia eventually grew into two prominent black churches, the African Episcopal Church, which was called St. Philip's, and it was led by Absalom Jones, a former slave who had actually brought his own freedom. We have actually a representation of him, a picture of him that you can still see. If you Google Absalom Jones, you can actually see him. The other one was the Methodist Church, which eventually became the African Methodist Episcopal denomination, and that was led by Richard Allen. But this attempt to build these independent, autonomous community organizations to build solidarity amongst people of African descent, amongst black black people, uh, that was something that goes back to um, the 18th century. It goes back to these African-Americans who created the first free African societies, other societies like the Sons of Africa that petitioned the Massachusetts legislature against the slave trade, so they took an active part in politics also. And, of course, there were the Prince Hall Masons, uh, started by the remarkable Prince Hall and other preachers like John Morant, who actually preached not only in the United States, but also in Britain. Um, And these men developed a Christian ethic of mutual self-help. And they argued that their mission was not just to help each other, but to help, as Morant said, different nations of different colors. He felt that they had an obligation to, quote, relieve the needy, support the weak, mourn with your fellow man in distress. Those were their primary duties, the brotherhood of man. And again, what can be a better message for us today than to realize that these men pioneered in developing these self-help societies? I should also mention that many of these early societies and churches, like the New York Society for Mutual Relief that lasted well into the 20th century, and of course the African Methodist Episcopal Church, which is still there today, um, were the first black organizations to be incorporated and to receive legal recognition for their societies. In the case of the Amy Church, it was because there were some white Methodists who tried to take over that church and take over their land. So they realized that self-help, independence, maintaining their autonomy, and carrying forth this message was extremely important. Not only did we have um, mutual aid societies and black churches and schools that started proliferating, but African Americans also developed other community organizations in order to assist people who were orphaned or who were ill or who were elderly. Since they were 
excluded from many of these early institutions in 19th century America because of race, they simply decided to build their own organizations. Now, orphanages was really important. Perhaps the most famous one was the Colored Orphan Asylum in New York, uh, which was run uh, with the help of Dr. James McCune Smith, an abolitionist, a black abolitionist and physician who had gotten his medical degree from the University of Glasgow because no medical um, uh, institution would admit him in the United States. And today, of course, we know that there is a building named after Dr. James McCune Smith at the University of Glasgow in Scotland. But this colored orphan asylum was uh, uh, an enviable institution in New York City. Uh, abolitionists, black people, black teachers uh, helped to maintain it. And Dr. James McCune Smith gave his medical services for free to maintaining this orphanage. Unfortunately, it was attacked by racists during the Civil War and burned down. But that did not deter people. They went ahead and built another one on its ruins. So these orphanages, hospitals, schools also show this ethic of taking care of one's own. Uh, and it was a Christian ethic. Now, Harriet Tubman, the famous Moses of her people, who ran away so many enslaved people to freedom, also established a home for the elderly in her home um, in Auburn, New York. So we have many instances of African-Americans, even prominent so-called race leaders, who actually did this as a regular thing. Now, on emancipation, we know that once you had emancipation, this ethic of having one's own institutions, of building, um, uh, institu especially in the Jim Crow South, building one's own churches, schools, uh, etc., cetera, uh, spread throughout the South. And emancipation was really an important moment for that. And I think now that we are going to be celebrating Christmas and shortly after that, New Year's Day, it's really important to look back at some of this history. We know that Christmas Day was something that enslaved people celebrated on their own. Um, they, that was the one day they did get time off from work was an important um, holiday for most enslaved people and, of course, for most free African Americans as well. Southern slaveholders tried to act with noblesse oblige uh, and tried to say that they were being so nice in giving the enslaved people time off during that, that day. But of course, enslaved people made these religious holidays their own. Uh, this was when there were no black churches allowed in the South, uh, when in fact uh, it was against the law for black people to learn how to read and write, to gain literacy. African-Americans in secret were having their own schools, meeting in the so-called hush arbors and having their own religious practices where they longed for freedom, for deliverance. They identified with the children of Israel. I said, again, since it's Christmas, it's probably important to remember some of um, the main ideas of African-American Christianity. Um, a lot of black people 
saw their enslavement as akin to the chosen people of God who were enslaved and who would eventually be liberated from slavery, that there would be an exodus from the land of the Pharaoh to the land of freedom. And in fact, when emancipation is declared on January 1st, 1863, when Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation is declared, it becomes a really important day in Black traditions of celebration. January 1st always had an important meaning for African Americans. They saw January 1st as an important emancipatory day because that was the day that the Black Republic of Haiti was founded. It was the day when For the first time in world history, you had a successful slave rebellion, the Haitian Revolution, and the first black modern republic was founded in Haiti on January 1st, 1804. Now, of course, uh, many African Americans continue to celebrate this day because that was also the day when, in fact, um, you had... um, the abolition of the African slave trade by the British and by the Americans. Both countries abolished the slave trade in 1807, and it went into effect on January 1st, 1808. So in Black history, January 1st, especially amongst Northern Black communities, was always celebrated as Emancipation Day. That gets reinforced with the coming down on the wires of the news of the Emancipation Proclamation by issued by Abraham Lincoln in the middle of the Civil War on January 1st, 1863. African Americans throughout the North held vigils. They called it the Watch Night. Uh, they met in churches. They met in their societies to wait for the word that... Uh, actually the proclamation had been issued as Lincoln had promised in his preliminary proclamation the year before in September 1862 that he would issue an emancipation proclamation on the 1st of January 1863. And in Boston, in Tremont Temple and other important sites of abolitionist and black activism, you had people like Frederick Douglass and others waiting to hear the news. And at the historic African meeting house, when Douglas and the black community, the activist black community of Boston heard this news, Douglas immediately broke out into a hymn of thanksgiving um, against spirituals, uh, black spirituals that we sing today, you know, was born out of the worship and the pain of those people who had been enslaved. So what Douglas then did was not only evoke his own enslaved past, he had also been, in fact, a deacon in the African Methodist Zion Church. So he evoked all that, and he sang a a hymn of thanksgiving when he heard the news. Um, But perhaps the most poignant reaction was that of William Cooper Nell, a black abolitionist 
who lived in Boston, was led the fight for school desegregation, or what he called equal school rights in Boston in the 1840s. He was a compatriot of William Lloyd Garrison, the abolitionist. Um, he was an apprentice with him. He printed with him. He actually um, set type of Garrison's liberator. Before that, he had received a medal as being the most outstanding student uh, in the Boston school system. Uh, but they didn't give it to him when they discovered that he was African-American. And instead, they gave him a book. Uh, well, Nell was never deterred. He ended up writing many books about the contributions of African Americans to the American Revolution um, and other uh, important work that he went on to do. So on Emancipation Day, William Cooper Nell, who had been born free, who had actually never been enslaved, remarked on the fact, and he said this literally, he said Emancipation Day is the day when, or rather New Year's Day, is the day when most enslaved people greet with tears, because that was the traditional day in the South when enslaved people would be sometimes torn apart from their families and sold to settle debts for their masters. So it was called, as William Cooper Nell said, he said, you know, New Year's Day for us people was heartbreak day. That's what he called it, heartbreak day, because of the history of trading in enslaved people. But he said, but now, with the Emancipation Proclamation, this day has a whole new meaning for us, that Lincoln has actually made it sacred. He has made it into an emancipation day. And that's how we will always celebrate New Year's, as a day that meant the dawn of freedom uh, for most people of African descent. So these are the stories, the uplifting stories of emancipation, of mutual self-help, that I think are so important for us to remember in this Christmas season, because they really do our Christian message of brotherhood, of helping the needy and the poor, of sharing your, um, uh, of of sharing your um, uh, goods with others. Uh, this is a tactic that Black people have actually followed right down to our present day. Uh, we still have Black churches at the forefront uh, in leading the fight for equal rights, but also in helping and assisting their members and ensuring worship, uh, independent worship amongst African-Americans and carrying on this very unique tradition of African-American Christianity. Um, you still have, of course, uh, people who will pool their resources in order to help each other. So when I was in graduate school in the 1980s, I read a book by an anthropologist called Carol Stack, and it was called All Our Kids. And she basically lived in uh, inner city black community. And she noted how this community survived by pooling their resources together. And when I read that, it really reminded me a lot of the early black uh, mutual aid societies and benevolent associations and fraternal organizations uh, that had developed in the colonial era in the 19th century uh, in order to help and assist each other. Uh, so this tradition of mutual self-help is not dead. 
Now, we also know that there is a lot of controversy today about talking about um, uh, the history of African-Americans in this country, this transition from slavery to freedom, which is, in fact, a remarkable and uplifting story. Uh, But many people have actually only called it, or they say, oh, this is what they call it. They raise a scare, you know, like the scare tactic. This is critical race theory, they say. Um, And this is what, um, in fact, um, we know that, uh, um, you know, that, somehow teachers are indoctrinating um, their students with it. Actually, critical race theory is not taught in any schools. It is a legal theory that is taught in law schools for law students to understand that why is it that we still have uh, differential treatment of black people in this country in law enforcement, even after the civil rights movement and even after the um, fact that uh, they actually got together um, and, um, you know, managed to get equal civil rights and political rights. Why is it that we still have police brutality? Why is it that there are still differentials in mass incarceration and in, um, uh, in law enforcement? Uh, so that is a theory that lawyers invented in order to understand some of those problems that still continue today. And you would have to be blind not to know that these are still problems that our society confronts. This is not being taught in schools. In fact, what's being taught in schools are the histories of slavery. And the history of slavery doesn't always need to be just a history of oppression because, of course, it was that. It is also a history of abolition and black resistance to slavery that must be taught alongside uh, those oppressive histories. The fact that some people feel that that somehow attacks white Americans, I find remarkable. If you're a decent human being today, whether you're white, black, red, yellow, whatever your ethnicity, uh, you don't have to identify with slaveholders. Why would you try to be defensive about slavery? That is an institution that was oppressive, that was evil, and that is done away with. So why would you think that you are being attacked when, in fact, we are criticizing slavery or slaveholders? And if you think that, then the problem is with you, because you have a real problem uh, in terms of identifying with some of the most heinous crimes in history. Um, So I think this is just a political tactic that has been raised um, to erase uh, the history of slavery uh, and also uh, to erase the history of black resistance to slavery. We know that when we study the history of slavery, um, we don't only study Uh, the history of oppression, but we also study the history of black resistance to slavery. I had talked about Harriet Tubman and the way that she, in fact, escaped from slavery and then at great danger and cost to herself would go back to the South, not only to free her family, her brothers, but others too. There was a price on the head of Harriet Tubman uh, because she did this. Of course, enslaved people always resisted. They always voted with their feet, creating what I call the fugitive slave problem, 
uh, in this country. Um, this is when you have the passage of new fugitive slave laws in order to prevent black people from running away from slavery. It creates a problem between the North and the South because the South wants to extend its system of patrolling and surveilling slaves to the North. Uh, and they demand that the North uh, not give fugitive slaves any uh, legal rights, not trial by jury or anything. In fact, this even leads to the kidnapping of free blacks under the new fugitive slave law, uh, as we all know from that film um, that is based very accurately on the life of Solomon Northrup. Um, 12 years of slave, slave narrative to my students. And I was very impressed by that movie. It was one of the few movies on slavery that was really accurate. Um, it was based so closely on Northrop's own narrative. Um, but the fact remains that black people resisted. Uh, they resisted by running away from slavery, and sometimes they resisted uh, by starting revolts and slave rebellions. I spoke about the Haitian Revolution being the only example of a successful slave rebellion in world history, meaning going back to slavery in antiquity amongst the Romans and Greeks down to modern racial slavery in the Americas. It's the only instance of a successful slave rebellion. But of course, there were many other rebellions and revolts uh, throughout the Americas, in the Caribbean, in Brazil, uh, in Cuba, in the United States. In the United States, you had the famous Stono Rebellion in South Carolina in 1739. Um, you had the New York City slave conspiracies in the early 18th century. Um, you had uh, three really important revolts. Uh, Gabriel's Rebellion of 1800, immediately after the era of revolution. Denmark Vesey's conspiracy in South Carolina in 1822. And of course, Nat Turner's Rebellion. Uh, in 1831 in Southampton, Virginia. Besides that, you also had uh, you had a rebellion, in fact, the largest one that took place in Louisiana in 1811. Uh, and, you know, there were many other instances of conspiracies and rebellions uh, that we are increasingly finding evidence of now and today. Uh, and you have to know this long tradition of black resistance and rebellions and revolts against slavery to understand what happens during the Civil War when most black people vote with their feet and run to freedom into Union Army lines and eventually um, join the Union Army. Um, when black soldiers are recruit recruited into the Union Army, remember that over 80% of them were enslaved people. Uh, and these were people who actually um, fought for their own freedom. Um, they were the ones who initiated the process of emancipation. So when we think about the Emancipation Proclamation of January 1st, let us not forget this long history of black people contending for their freedom, um, donning the Union Army Blue, uh, many of them former slaves, and fighting against their own masters uh, or their own former masters during the Civil War and therefore fighting for their freedom. Even before that, you have a famous instance of a slave revolt that led to emancipation. We normally don't think about these slave revolts that occur outside the United States uh, because 
um, you know, we tend to be very focused on the history of our nation. But even before the Civil War, uh, besides the Haitian Revolution, you had the famous Christmas Rebellion in Jamaica in 1831, led by a Baptist minister called Samuel Daddy Sharp. It was called the Christmas Rebellion because it occurred at that time. And it was put down really brutally by the colonial authorities. Uh, and there was a British Baptist minister called Bleeby who recorded what had happened and spread the news of this rebellion uh, back to Britain. Uh, and in fact, uh, we know that, um, you know, uh, this rebellion uh, led uh, to a certain extent, besides abolitionist agitation in Britain, um, to Britain issuing an Emancipation Act. So when the Emancipation Act is decided in 1832, uh, many people argue that the catalyst was the Christmas Rebellion in Jamaica. Besides that, it is important to remember that Harriet Tubman helped her own brothers escape uh, from slavery on Christmas Eve. So Christmas has uh, a meaning for black people in terms of racial liberation, in terms of fighting for your own freedom and helping others fight for their freedom. Um, that has a long, long tradition uh, in the history of slave revolts, in the history of, of fugitive slaves, um, and in the history of people like Tubman who helped their old family and brothers gain freedom. Um, so I would like to end this show today by meditating a bit on uh, these various traditions of black Christianity that allowed people to act against slavery, but also allowed them to help each other in times of need. Uh, it's the kind of lessons that we need even today because we are in the middle of a pandemic still, uh, and there's so much suffering and want in our country, uh, we need to be mindful of those lessons and remember that even when people were enslaved and even when people didn't have much of their own, they assisted each other and they used the Christmas holidays uh, either to escape from slavery or to perform their Christian duties towards others. And I would like to end the show before I talk to you in January uh, with keeping those lessons in mind and keeping in mind the wonderful tradition of Black Christianity. Thank you so much. I will talk to you again. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.